Okay, we have an awesome Ryan Rosillo podcast for you today on the Ringer Podcast Network. And we want to remind you that State Farm is our presenting sponsor. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro. The real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game when you want the real deal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we all know how much Kyle and the crew love Bacardi. May have a bit of a spiced rum theme coming up. Uh, It's coming up at my place sooner rather than later. Who knows? This episode is brought to you by Bacardi Spice Rum. Spice up your game day this weekend with a delicious Bacardi Spice Dark and Stormy. Doesn't have to be bad outside to be feeling good inside, if you know what I'm saying. A refreshing take on a classic. Just mix up Bacardi Spice Rum with ginger beer, lime, and enjoy. Easy to make, delicious, and will elevate your game day. Make them for yourself and make them for your friends because you know they'll ask for one anyway. Toast to your favorite team and toast to this new brand of Spice Rum. Let's think here. You know what it would go great with? If you're a Browns fan or a Jets fan and you're bummed out, or if you're an Arizona fan celebrating a win against a really good San Francisco team. That Arizona win, I feel like, has gone completely under the radar based on like the Brady-Saints matchup. Lamar goes crazy again, and we're like, oh, okay, that's cool. He's still awesome. Um, there was a lot of storylines that I felt like they kind of got lost in... I don't know. What ended up being the biggest storyline? Washington beating the Eagles? No. It had to be Brady. It had to be Brady not playing well or Belichick and Cam. I mean, there's just a million storylines from that week one. So anyway, they all got lost. Have a Bacardi. What's up? Bacardi, do what moves you. Drink responsibly. Bacardi USA, Coral Gables, Florida, rum with natural flavors and spices, 35% alcohol by volume. Today's plan is awesome. Tim Conley, the president of basketball operations for your Denver Nuggets. Uh, he's going to talk about um, really what it's like to be down 3-1 back-to-back series. What role the GM president play in that? Drafting Jokic, um, when nobody really thought that it was a great idea. Jokic's story in general, his family. We'll talk a little Jamal Murray. Also the role of uh, the decision maker because he, he gives us some really great insight on what you have to do to kind of make sure relationships can help you um, win on the court as well, which a lot of the times I, I can hear that kind of stuff. Hey, we want this to be family. We want this to be relationship driven and all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, whatever. Do you have like one of the top 10 players? Because none of that stuff really matters unless you do. But you know what? Denver probably has a top 10 player right now in Jokic. All right, so we're going to do that. And Ryan Shazier, newest member of our Ringer NFL show. He does that one on Tuesdays with Cole Wright. And I want to ask him about you know what he saw from week one. I definitely want to ask him about uh, some tells from players and really where he's at now, almost three years removed from this terrible, terrible spinal injury that ended his football career. So we'll do that with some life advice at the very end. I do want to start. It's not an open. This is not a huge rant. I think I'm going to work on this over the weekend, though, um, because in the post-Kawhi thing, and this is what happens, like the immediacy, we are the worst in the moment now. We're the worst. We and we are incapable of anything but what happened in that moment. And a lot of it is just angst of the barbs that have been thrown at your favorite player and your favorite team for not doing well. So for all the LeBron fans out there, like, oh, you're going to do this again? Actually, honestly, at this point, like, there's three groups of critical people of LeBron. One guy on TV who sucks, um, Jordan fans, and then I guess just straight-up LeBron haters 
but I think for the most part, everyone, you know, in a weird way, like LeBron and seeing what happened here with Kawhi in this Nuggets series, it kind of leads back to like, man, we probably take LeBron for granted a little bit too much here. But that's kind of the point. It's like a Lamar Jackson thing, but on a much bigger scale. Lamar Jackson's a week one thing. LeBron's kind of a career thing. We're like, oh, Lamar Jackson lit it up. Okay, well, I expect him to. He's MVP. He's really good. And we're going to see what happens in his third year. LeBron, oh, he was steady the entire time and basically dictated every game except for maybe two in these playoffs. Okay, yeah, that's what's supposed to happen. And whereas I was looking like I was making a mistake because post Giannis. And by the way, the best thing that could have ever happened to the Milwaukee Bucks were the LA Clippers. I mean, you want to talk about the Clippers being frauds? What are the Bucks? They basically were going to be swept. I think if they had had Giannis through the fourth game, they may have been swept instead of being thrown off and then losing in five. So, like, what are they? At least the Clippers. And that's why I'm always kind of like, all right, I know that fourth quarter was terrible. I mean, it was it was as bad it wasn't just bad basketball. It was just seeing a team completely checked out, looking scared, not showing any of that toughness, that stuff that we love, the stuff that we love about sports. Like, who's going to be a foxhole guy for you? You're like, wait, nobody is? That's weird. Um, but how do you go up 3-1 if you're a fraud? How do you go up 19 in game six if you're a fraud? So maybe they are frauds. We can call them that if you want to. I'm not sure that I'm quite there with it. But if they're frauds, what the hell is Milwaukee? But Milwaukee's an afterthought because they're not in L.A., and they're just not going to deal with the same amount of hate that I think a lot of it, too, as far as social media is concerned, is coming from Lakers fans. They're like, wait, we thought y'all were the favorites. By the way, y'all has gotten co-opted quite a bit. It's probably one of the few things people want to apologize to the South for. But I do think it has. And I apologize for just saying it. And I'm not dragging the South here. I'm just saying, you know, whatever. Um, but Kawhi was bad. I mean, if the, if the exercise is, hey, say Kawhi was bad. OK, there you go. He's really bad. Now, if the exercise is you are down on Harden, you are down on Russell Westbrook, you are down on this guy. How? What about Giannis and all all these different things? Like it becomes this stream, this marathon of NBA stars to go past us that we're like, oh, actually he sucks. Oh, this guy's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. No, he sucks. Oh, this guy I like him. Look at his numbers. Look what he figures. Oh no, he sucks. Russell Westbrook, third team All NBA. No, he sucks. Some of these guys look. First of all, none of them suck. Um, but some of them are just really bad in big moments. And I will defer to still believing in the guy that carried his team to a championship. And look, I would love to say, yeah, whatever. Durant got hurt, um, which was cheered by Toronto fans. And Clay got hurt in game six. But you know, for those that think of Clay healthy, they win game six, and then Golden State automatically wins game seven. Uh, I think that's way too dismissive of Kawhi and that Toronto team last year. So if the if the tiers are this way, I think this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do tiers. But if the first tier is NBA superstar who's never had a bad playoff game or playoff exit, then that tier is going to be zero people. That'll be the first tier. It'll be zero people. And it's a very predictable, cyclical reaction for every one of these guys that comes up short because almost all of them end up coming up short during a playoff season. Before we get to Tim Conley, this football season will be different. Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day. No matter how you watch this season, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day. Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch the game. Um, I'm watching football at the new pad with a nice little viewing room um, where, I don't know, even the TV guy was like, hey, I think you have too many TVs. I was like, don't ever say that to me. Because this is the job. Married to the game, TV guy. I like my TV guy, though. Shout out to Matt and Wayne. Pepsi. 
Made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Okay, I'm excited to talk to this guy. Uh, this is the team everyone is talking about right now, and he is the president of basketball operations for the Denver Nuggets. It's Tim Connolly. I'm going to ask maybe some dumb questions from the outside. You set me straight on this. When you're down 3-1, like you were both times, let's start with Utah. What's it like in your role? Because I can't imagine like you're in coaches' meetings and you're sitting there being like, hey, let's trap and dissecting it. But what is it like day-to-day when you're down 3-1 and you're thinking, I can't believe it's going to end this way? Yeah, just try to be as supportive as possible. I'm, I'm obnoxiously positive at times. So just trying to pump guys up, telling guys, hey, we're fine. Um, you, you know, it, it's, there's not much you can do, right? The die's kind of been cast once your team's put together. So any way you can be supportive, if you can put fires out, if you can um, make sure guys are kind of focused, especially in this environment with it had been so easy to let go of the rope. I mean, we've been here for so long and none of us sign up for this. And it's there's a, a lot, a lot of stuff we're missing back home. So I think I do very little once the season starts, but that's the only role I think that could be you know, very small, smallly beneficial, just, Hey, let's lock, let's stay locked in. We've been down here for at that point, 45, 50 days. We don't want to leave. Um, we think we have a chance. Let's take it one game at a time, but, um, I don't do much to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's one of those things that we always try to figure out. Cause I don't think any <clears throat> coaching staff would be like, sweet. The, the GM, the president's here to give us plays that he wants yeah. us to run. Now that, we're, now that we're down three, one, then it happens again, um, against a team. No one expected you to beat. I think more people expect you to beat Utah. Uh, give me some insight into what the conversations were like, at least with you and, and Coach Malone, because I imagine it comes up at some point, but just like, you're right. There's no point in being anything but positive. There's no point in walking around and be like, man, you know, we're not as good as we think, or this is predictable, yeah. or we're not very good. But to help me understand, those of us outside of it, again, understand like what you guys talk about when you're at least trying to figure out how you can get out of it. Well, I'm lucky because I've known Mo forever. Um, he should recruit my brother's players back in the day. We worked together in New Orleans uh, on this staff, I've known most of the staff for a really long time. I was you know, in, in Wes Unsell's wedding, um, and he was in mine, I think. Was he in mine? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> Sounds I don't, like a good wedding. <laughs> one, one of us were in each other's wedding, and I don't know how it works. But we, we were actually, I say high school rivals. He was a much, much better player, but the same Baltimore Catholic League back in the day. So I, I'm lucky that I'm able to have conversations, um, and, and I'm lucky that I have a coach staff cool enough that we can talk. And I'm also way too respectful of their profession to ever infer that I know anything or act as if I can offer any real uh, strategy game plan. But shoot, when you're struggling, you know, you take a walk, you go get a beer, you talk about where we are. Um, Mo and I had a bunch of conversations and we're getting our doors blown off against Utah. Um, it was weird because I had to leave here to get our, one of our medical guys in and go down to the other hotel, the tier four hotel, like the quasi bubble. And then I had to come back here after game. So games one, two, and three, I watched the penalty box where the owners are. And then games four and five, I was quarantining for another seven days back on this campus, which was brutal, absolutely brutal. So um, you got to have a bit of a sense of humor about it too, and, you know, with the way we're getting smacked by these teams. But I think anything, our whole goal when we came down here was certainly to win games, but also stay sane. We, we told each other, we challenged all of everyone on our staff and our players, let's make this as fun as possible. You know, it's not fun when you're losing by 30 points. It's not fun when you have 10, 15 point quarters. Um, but I think the more dialogue, the better. And the more, the more that we can kind of support each other and say, all we can do is, is, is fight. And it sounds cheesy and cliche, but 
we're down three, one, let's roll with it and see if we can't turn the momentum a bit. And, uh, thankfully, and somehow we've done that in two straight series and it's, it's been awesome. What did you see that changed in the basketball in that Clippers series? I thought our coaches were fantastic. I thought some of the adjustments they made um, were, were really impressive. Um, Can you help I, me understand, like, what, what adjustments specifically? Well, you know, we're going against a great team and a Hall of Fame coach. And uh, Jamal was coming off a first-round series that was very likely unsustainable. You know, if he had two more 50-point games, great. But um, he was also going <laughs> against, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Pat Beverly, and Paul George as – as good as you're going to find on the perimeter defensively. So, so we knew that we couldn't just expect him to bail us out of games. Um, and the aggressive defense on him and Nicola, um, it, it was, you know, things we've seen, but we haven't seen over a six, seven game series. So how do we, it's really fun being in all these uh, video sessions, all the practices, watching our coaches go to work. And it's re- it really is like a chess match. You know, they did this last game. We scored, so this next game we will expect it to be a little bit different. What's our counter? Um, you know, over the course of 82 games, you're always making adjustments, but it's just so rapid fire and practice time so limited. Here, I mean, we're just sitting in this hotel, so we're always meeting, always with the team, always in the gym. So it's really cool to see um, and to watch our guys try to maximize their talent. And it was really neat to see Nicole and Jamal adjust to a level of attention and a level of aggression they've probably never seen. Yeah, that that's just, I think, the overriding story for your team and those two guys in particular is that now they've been unleashed this level where it's not, hey, are we capable of this? But now we expect to do this. And I think that's probably the greatest thing as somebody that puts together this kind of roster. Um, I know in the past at times, like, it, when the two-man game is right with those two guys, especially in some of those Utah games <laughs> where if Jamal's on fire and then they don't know what to do with Jokic, and then they put a perimeter defender on Jokic. I've seen that adjustment in both of these series where it's like, hey, if we're running the switch. But I'll admit, like sometimes with the two-man and then the surrounding roster, if people aren't hitting shots, I'll be at home, and I'll be like, man, is this a little too – like is it a little too repetitive? Is this the only thing they're going to do? But then again, when it looks right, you're like, what the hell is Utah supposed to do? <laughs> like what are they supposed to do? Because I went out on Utah, and they go, what adjustments would you have made? I'm like, first of all, I don't understand NBA coaching. <laughs> Uh, as well as the guys that actually do it. But sometimes there's just no adjustment. But I really always feel like when you guys are right, it's a third guy that keeps people honest. And Grant had those moments. Millsap had that big shot. I think Gary finally hitting his first shot in yeah. Game 7 for you. I think it really freaks out the opponent. As much as it's doubling Jokic or staying two with Jamal and all the different stuff you can do, when a third guy is consistent for you, that's when I think you guys are really scary. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I, I you know, And it's been weird. We're, didn't, we came down here with eight guys. We got hit pretty hard by injuries and, and COVID and we are one, two, and three were all out. So we got down here. We, you know, we had one guard for several weeks, still missing Will Barton, who's hugely impactful. So it's, it's been an adjustment in this truncated yeah. season. And then I think, look, with Nicola, you're going to get good shots, you know, especially if he's making his three. I don't know if there is, there's much you can do. He's so adept in the post. He's so big and strong. He's got the point guard handle. He's so weirdly slow and effective. You know, he plays at his own pace. And then if he makes threes, then what do you do? You can't close out on him as he's going to take three slow dribbles and, you know, whip it past the opposite corner or he's going to make you foul him. So I think we're confident, again, uh, Mo and his staff, uh, David Adelman's a rock star. He really is Mo's right hand offensively. Um, We're going to get good shots. Can we make them? I mean, I think 
game two and three of the Clippers series, we made a couple. Um, Gary made some big ones. Game three, we missed a couple big ones. And it is also, we're trying to stay focused as much as possible. I know it's an overused term, but we kind of want to be, you know, process driven, not results driven. Because (laughs) it's like, you know, if that Mike Conley shot falls, what are we doing the last three weeks? We're looking at our roster. We're saying we're not good enough. We got to do this and that. It it could be, you know, you lose in the first round after um, having some expectations. So I think as long as we're getting good shots and guys are shooting with confidence, uh, uh, Joker the other day, I think one of our coaches said, hey, you got to be more aggressive in the first half. And um, he was like, no, I, I'm, trust me, I got to keep finding guys. They're going to need to make shots. You know, I, I'll be fine. And they need, to, they need to know that I have confidence in them to keep finding them. And He sure, said that. No kidding. Yeah, sure enough, in the, in the second half, you, you know, I, I played. I was awful when I played. But I remember vividly uh, when I was playing, like, a bunch of guys failed off one time. And I had like 27 and 21. And then they came back and it's back to having like six and four. Because I, I wasn't looking over my shoulder. I was playing with confidence. So when your best player can instill confidence, I don't care if it's, you know, high school, college, or pros. You see those guys who don't feel real confident with their teammates passing the ball. And they miss a shot. And there's a, a visceral reaction. Like, come on, man. Got to make that. So with, with Joker's mindset, he, he's so smart. Like, hey, we're going to need these guys. And I thought when we made that run, in the uh, second half, it was the confidence level and the freedom guys are playing with was exactly who we need to be. I, I don't think we're a team that plays good uptight. I think we're young. Nicole, you know, Joker's just a big, a big fun guy. He loves to hoop, man. He doesn't want to make – it should not feel like a job to him. So I think when those other guys are making shots, which they have and which they will, um, I think we're a really, really hard team to stop. Yeah, and I'm glad you reminded me of, of Will Barton too, just because I feel like he's like consistently one of the most underrated wing guys, and he's great for the second unit and then closing, and you know, like different things that he can do. And it's just, you know, you're right. You guys came in there and not a great situation, and, and how tenuous it can be because we'd all be like, "What's wrong with this team? What's wrong with this team?" And now it's like everybody's favorite team. Yeah, it's, no, it's it's crazy. You know, right, it's, it's right. One yeah. shot. Yeah, the Mike Conley shot was down, and they. Yeah. Uh, we have so much respect for those guys. One of the the rare cool things about the bubbles getting to know guys and. I knew Dennis and Quinn and Justin and David pretty well, but I didn't know all, all their players. I know a couple of the coaches, like Johnny and Eric Waters, a trainer, but it's, you hang out with those guys. And after game seven, I was hanging out with a couple of those guys for like five in the morning, jazz guys. So it's, it's, and we talked about it, how funky this is. That shot was down, 100% down. And the shot goes down, the emotions are different. Uh, the summer is certainly different. How you approach uh, this offseason is different. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a funky thing. You know, I don't think you can be, you know, it's kind of like the shot selection. As long as we're getting good shots, we feel good about it. And as long as guys are shooting with confidence and conviction, we think they'll make more than they're going to miss. And again, I think we're a tough out when those guys are making shots. Okay. More with Tim Conley, including these legendary pickup games and some Jamal Murray stuff as well. But first zip recruiter, what if a quarterback completed four out of five of his passes or a point guard hit four out of five of his shots behind the arc? Well, now. When you're hiring, you can play at that level because four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. No matter the industry, healthcare to manufacturing to business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. And today you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show, R-Y-E-N Show. ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for the right candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter's AI scouts talent for you. First, when you post your job in ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology 
learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right skills and experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. And now to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan show. That's R-Y-E-N show. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan show. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan show. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the legend of uh, Jokic here. So you get the gig, what, about a year or so before you drafted him? Got the gig, uh, like, like, I think like a week or so before the 2013 draft. So, yeah. Right, so you drafted in 14. Yeah. Right, yeah. okay. So I know about his background over the years. Big family. Grandmother lived there. Older brothers beating up on him. Two-bedroom house. Learned how to play hoops on like a little plastic hoop inside the house. He goes to one of the Euro leagues uh, at a pretty young age because he's got all this size. But you're looking at him at least early on before you're making your draft decision. Bad numbers, bad body. Let's promise his agent will take him at 41. How the <laughs> hell does that happen? You know what was what's cool about it is hey, it was dumb luck. Uh, I know myself and a lot of guys on our staff. Uh, I'm kind of drawn. To, um, I'm a huge opponent of. Um, Optic bias, visual bias, you know, people judging how you look. I think it's probably because I'm not the most attractive guy. You know, it's, but it's like, he's, he was really good at basketball. You know, he was at the hoop summit. He was doing all the stuff he was doing now against Clint Capella. And instead of saying, man, that kid from Meg is good. The whole gym was like, can you believe Capella is getting cooked by this big fat kid? You know, it didn't, it's, he can really pass. Um, He comes from a basketball family. A lot of the European players. The first question has to be, or international players, do you want to play here? You know, the, the worst case scenario is you pick a guy who didn't have any interest in playing in the States because you have to jump through so many logistical hurdles to get them on your team. If they don't want to play here, it's near impossible, and it usually doesn't end well. Um, you know, his brother played at Detroit, then at CW Post. He had a girlfriend that was um, in the States, so the background checked out. Uh, we we're fortunate to have good relationships in that part of the world, and he seemed like our type of guy, kind of a goofy guy, um, fun. Um, cool. It was a really cool story. And then the final fun thing was, you know, too often when you're looking at these guys, you say, you know, you're, you're trying to project, you know, you're not trying to report. So you say, I think this guy can be like some star in the NBA right now or some role player. And, and, you know, too often you're not, nah, you know, this guy can, can shoot better. He can defend better like that, but we had com- got to compare him at the same age. So you put the video in of all those European guys who have made it whether it was Gortat or whether it was Gasol, whether it was Pekovic. And I think that really helps um, kind of galvanize their thoughts, look at him in that light. Like, look, he's got to get his body better. We think he'll be a better shooter. We think the, shoot, the shooting numbers are, are not reflective of his touch. We've never seen a guy pass like this. And again, he's just like kind of our type of guy. But none of us thought he was going to be a <laughs> – he's going to be a Hall of Famer, which is certainly uh, well on his way. Now it almost didn't happen though, right? Like something happened where he was going to sign with Barcelona, and then what? Did, was he terrible in the game, or they came to watch him? What happened? We deserve about one percent credit for drafting him. Um, it was luck, you know. And we're again, we're lucky. Uh, dealt with him, his agent of bunch, Mishko. You know, is fantastic. He's he's a controls half of Europe. So, and we had had it was helpful. We had Joffrey Laverne, same agent. We had similar. So we had. In our brief time there, we had already brought over a couple guys from Europe and gave them roster spots, and, and Eric Green and Joffrey Laverne. So that was good because, and they have to trust you when you have a plan too. Like too often, they don't want to hear we're going to draft and stash. They want to hear draft and develop. You know, are you going to bring him over? Do you have a plan? So that was very helpful. Knowing Mishko, knowing Jeff and those guys, um, 
but the the if we deserve any credit is the minute we draft any of these guys. Um, and we, you know, we have several guys overseas right now that have played for summer league, hung out in Denver a bunch and still talk to you quite often is got to make him feel part of the team. So the, you know, he, he gets drafted. We had never met him. So then it was, uh, you know, full on, let's go hang out. Let, let's get to know these guys. Um, Strahina, his older brothers bec- had become a really good friend. I remember shoot the first year Strahina came over to my house for Christmas. Um, so I think the what's neat is the family's so tight. Um, they started to trust us. They started to believe that the path we had in place for him. But then like to your point, Ryan, he had some um, really big European teams. So he starts playing really well. All right. We watched the first team in the 2014, 2015 ABBA league as a staff. And I thought he was better than, and, and this is, I'm usually wrong with this. I thought he was better. Than a lot of guys were at the top of the draft, the 2015 draft. And my, my guys are like, rose-colored glasses you just love our guys too much i'm like i'm telling you this guy is he's better than i'm not gonna name names but he's better than a lot of these guys are gonna go top 10 and just let me jump in so people can follow along like you drafted him in 14 but you knew you weren't bringing him over immediately so he's playing in these leagues there and now you're watching him he's your guy he's not playing for it and you're and he's starting to dice people up and this is where that it just gets exciting for you just because i want people to be able to follow along yeah sorry sorry so i got got a bubble mouth right now man that's very little interaction with people so if we, we sit down and watch the game as a staff. It's uh, Mega played he, played, he played Eagle Kea, Eagle Kea, I believe. All right, so we're watching the game. And again, I tend to, tend to be a bit too optimistic and positive. And oftentimes it's a detriment, but I say he's, I'm, we're, we have a draft board. I said, he's better than that guy. He's better than that guy. And a couple of our guys like, there's no chance he's better than this guy. So I'm telling you, so you watch the first game and he has like 28, 13, 4. And it's a joke. I mean, he's throwing... He's diving the rim and throwing behind it between the legs, uh, bounce passes. He's shooting threes. He's, he's going to fourth and fifth moves in the post. Uh, so that was probably the most ex- excited we got collectively got like, hey, this guy's going to be better than just like a stretch drive role player. He's got a chance to be really, really, really good. And then as the season progresses, he's put up these insane numbers. And the previous year, he wasn't getting any Euroleague interest. So these really big teams in Spain and Russia and Turkey with deep, deep pockets, they weren't showing him interest. They saw, they saw what a lot of the NBA saw. They saw a bad body. They saw a guy that had produced at an okay level at a, a mid-level European. Um, he didn't have a big national team repu- reputation. A lot of these guys have under 16, ordinary, under 18, under 20, like crazy stat profiles. So they started getting attention from those guys. And we're hearing it again. Uh, Raffle, our over- who has all our international stuff, is fantastic. Our tourist is a legend in Europe. Um, you know, I spent tons and tons of time international. So we're hearing the rumors. Hey, you know, this big team wants him. This team, big team wants him. This big team wants him. So we're, we're sweating for sure. And I think one of the biggest teams is going to drop a huge contract on him. When, he, when they showed up, he didn't play well. Um, and which was neat about the whole thing, though, who knows how it would end if he'd had a, a huge game. But the whole entire time talking to Strahina, he never really deviated from the plan. Like, he, he, he trusts us. We trust him. So without those relationships, it would have been a whole lot more nerve-inducing and who knows? We might have never seen him. He could have been, and I, I can say with complete certainty, he'd have been a great, great, great player in Europe. But the freedom that Mo has allowed him to play with and the style of play that we've embraced, I don't know. I've never seen that evident in any European team. So it's thankfully he didn't play great in that game. And we got him here. And I can't believe he's 25 years old. I can't believe what he continues to do every night. 
that's such a good story, not just because of the Jokic part of it, because you gave us two pieces there that I don't know that we always appreciate enough when it comes to the job of the general manager, president of basketball operations of these these franchises, that yes, it's nice if you can identify talent. Yes, it's nice if you don't give out terrible contracts. It's good if you have a good sense of the trade market and you don't get desperate. I think the biggest problem for the the position is that you'll get desperation moves. You know, you get moves that you even know, like, I don't want to pay this guy this much. I don't want to make this trade, but I got an owner. I got a stale franchise. I got all these different things. But the idea... And I've heard this when I first, you know, covered the league where I would always be surprised. Like, why is the GM doing the agent a favor? I'd ask a question and the, the agent, you know, those that or the GMs that like me would be like, look, man, sometimes you just got to do the agent a favor. Sometimes yeah. you just got to do the agent a favor. And I don't know that people understand this. So that's an example of it where you've done that with Laverne, um, you know, with with some of the other players that you've had. But then to have the older brother over to your house for Christmas and you've got a family, <laughs> like there's. There's just way more that goes into this than I think people ever understand. Well, it's also the fun part. I mean, it's at that point, I wasn't inviting our best player's brother to Christmas. You know, my wife was pregnant, so we couldn't travel back east. Um, you know, Joker wasn't even playing. It was like, I like Strahinia. He's a, he's a character, man. He's a, I don't know if you ever had a chance to hang out with the brothers, but they're hilarious. You know, they're, 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 they're yeah, what are these guys guy. like? Because as I asked uh, one of your staff guys a while ago, he could tell me more about Joker when he's starting to come up. Mm-hmm. He goes, dude, he's the nicest. He's the goofiest. And I was like, okay, I hear that. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. He goes, one time he was trying to ask us how much he thinks. We, like, he was like, how much do you think I make? And they were like, you're going <laughs> to make. Like, and he goes, do you think I'll make $5 million one day? They're like, Joker, you're going to make so much more than that. And he's like, no. He's like, I won't make five million. So somebody was telling me that story. I just started laughing about the guy. Oh, then it is. It's so his brother Strahinia is the mountain of a man. He's six nine, two seventy five, arm sleeves, wears like aggressive jewelry, <laughs> loves. He trades like he was. He went to school to be. Um, this is great. He went to school to be a bodyguard in the Middle East. Prior to you know, prior to all this, and then he ran a. That, that, that night was great because um, my grandmother-in-law was the sweetest Persian lady of all time. Like, she's like the Jackie O of, of Persian grandmother. And she really wants to open a bakery. And he used to run a bakery. So imagine uh, a Persian grandmother with, with, with very good, but not, you know, not first tongue English. And Strahinia talking about bakery. She's like, oh, I'd love to open a bakery. I'd love to cook. He goes, bad business. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't suggest it. I'm like, I, I think you guys are missing... <laughs> You guys are crossing streams here, man. Like she wants to open a mom and pop bakery where she makes baklava on Sunday, not an industrial bakery in Nova Sad, Serbia. But <laughs> those guys, the first time we played, uh, and Manu was a good player. He played for played at Detroit Mercy, and then he played for Tim Clues and CW Post. We're playing two on two. Me, you know Nick O'Hare, our, our PR guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know Nick, Nick and Hoop. He's a good player. I mean, Nemanja is a really good player, and Strahinja, um, good player, big physical guy. Strahinia's hard fouling in two and two, hard fouling. Like Nick goes up, he double push, double hand push, and then he he does the European stuff, like lifts his finger, like my foul. I'm like yeah, obviously it's your foul. It's two and two, man. <laughs> you know. So he, once he gets competitive, those guys like they like to wrestle. Oh, that that same Christmas, Strahi said, um, he goes, hey, what's your plan for Nicola's body? What do you think? I go, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, Felipe and and Hess can figure that out. He goes, the other day we were wrestling, I could really feel he's getting stronger. <laughs> so, rest. so all those stories are true. And they're, they're just great, great guys. They sent me a video the other night after we won. Nemanja just had a, a, his son, Vuk. And they're, they're chanting in Serbian. And they're dancing around. And Vuk is there. And 
they're just really, really good dudes. So again, it's, I, 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 my advice to a lot of guys who ask me anything, I said, just try to develop real relationships because it's just more fun. And if, if it's all transactional then where are you going with it? Again, it's that first Christmas wasn't because Nicole was averaging 25, 10 and five. It was like, Hey, this guy's in a foreign country. He's got to be bored. We're having some people over come through. And, um, that, I think that's the part of the job that's most enjoyable because again, you can't control the, the Mike Conley shot goes in and goes out, but you can have a lot of fun along the way. And the, the Jokic brothers, I've had a lot, a lot of fun with those guys. Okay, so that leaves me with two things I need to ask because I want—I have a thing I'm, I need to ask you about based on some intel. Don't be—don't be nervous, but I just feel like I gotta—I gotta give you as much room as you want to talk about Jamal because I, you know, I know in that Utah series, people would be like, "Oh, you guys are sleeping on him," and I think like, "Well, no, it's not that we're sleeping on him, but this is insane." You know, this is this is somebody who was at a certain level and he's so young. And the playoff ups and downs are very predictable. Hell, it's happened to guys that are in this league for 10 years that we talk about mm-hmm. being superstars all the time. And now for Jamal to kind of turn, I, I feel like this is another level. So what has it been like to watch him and the things that you see, that stuff probably that we don't always see, the progression because you've had your eyes on him for so long. Like what is going on with him right now? Because this is another level. It's so cool. I mean, he's such a great kid. He's so, he's just so chill and, He's got such a great family. He's got no crew around him. He just gym, home, family, gym, home, family, you know, mixing a couple of video games. He's just, he's awesome. So we thought he could be special and we get frustrated when he's just really, really good. We get frustrated with, like, he drives me nuts when his shot profile is all over the place, man. Like, like your teammates got to know when you're going to shoot. So he'll get, he'll get a wide open shot and he'll turn, he'll turn a good shot into a crazy shot and it drives us nuts. And, you know, he'll be the first to tell you that I'm really hard on him. Um, you know, he and I are, we live in the same neighborhood. Well, we live in the same neighborhood. And like I said, you're going to, you're already a really, really good player, man. It's, if you're content with that, cool, but you could be a great player. You could be a, an elite player and you're in a position where you're, I think it's the most talent rich position in the history of the modern NBA. That point guard position right now is so loaded. Where are you going to fall amongst these guys? Do you want to be a top 10 point guard? Do you want to be a top five point guard? Do you want to be talked about as an elite point guard? And, you know, he's, he's always had the, the desire. He's so mentally tough. Uh, his, his father, Roger, has done such a, a great job. The biggest moments, that guy has like ice water in his veins. He just could care less. Um, so I think that was a challenge. And I think during the pandemic, he, he worked harder than anybody. I think he came back eight or nine pounds of muscle, uh, moving more efficiently. He was addicted to watching video. So, again, I, I could be wrong because of my optimism or how you know obnoxiously upbeat I can be about our own guys, but I really believe that Jamal can be special and he can be elite. I didn't see two fifties in a playoff series, <laughs> you know, two fifties in a 40, um, <laughs> but we think he can be that good. And sometimes we're too hard on him because we don't take a step back and say, Hey, you're 23 years old. And the only metric that matters is wins and losses. So he, he gets so beat up. I think Jamal gets so unfairly beat up relative to his peers because they look at individual numbers and ultimately, the team success, there's two guys that have more impact on that than anybody. And that's obviously uh, Nicola and Jamal. And I, and I don't think he gets enough credit. And I'm probably guilty of that, too, because I just think he has it in him. Uh, we think he has it in him. Mo's always challenging him. And it's really cool to see. And we've seen, we've seen flashes of it. And we, he's had a great first four years in the NBA. But 
to see him do it over 14 games in the playoffs, a second series, what he did in game seven was amazing. We were dead in that second quarter. That second we were, quarter. That second quarter is like one of the most important. Like that, unfortunately, because it's not the fourth and who knows what happened. You know how quickly this stuff can be forgotten. Yeah. It won't be forgotten in your own backyard. Yeah. But that second quarter was so great that like it needs to be remembered outside of Denver fans because oh, yeah. of what he did. It was yeah. unreal. We were done. We were absolutely done. done. And it's they had come out with so many haymakers. And against those perimeter defenders, you don't know if he has a game like that in him. I, mean, I thought he had a very good series, but we didn't expect him to score 30 points a game against that defense. But what he did for that six-minute stretch in the second quarter was crazy. He gave us life. And then I think from then, then on, we really didn't look back. We, we made that run in the third. We were able to um, maintain it early in the fourth and made shots late. But um, it's neat to see. Man, that guy is so, so, so talented. I mean, I joke with him sometimes. He almost has too much in his bag that he doesn't know where he wants to go. Like, he'll he'll j- fake himself out, you know? He'll get to the sixth move when it moved three, he was wide open. Okay, last thought here. I've heard about these legendary staff pickup games, um, and it's I didn't hear it from Nick, but <laughs> that you, because you you mentioned your extensive resume a few times, and that the Jokic brothers actually close to, I don't know if they were kicked out of these games because people were like, basically, it was almost turning into a fight with them. That Shaheen, you have a yes, bit of a, Shaheen is out. He's out. He cannot He's play. not allowed. Nemanja so, can play still. He's still cool. Nemanja is still allowed to play. I've yeah. heard. I've heard that you have a bit of a dump and chase mentality, almost like hockey now with the way that you play. You get the you get the board and you just outlet it, and it's up to. So it's full court. It's ones. Give me a breakdown of how because I've heard these games are rather intense. You know, it's fun because I'm not. I'm like now our games in New Orleans were were intense and not fun. We played at like six thirty in the morning. It was Tim. You were the down man. That was your rotation. And I'm like, dude. I'm. I just want to make like six. <laughs> 12 footers and not get hurt. I'm not, I'm not good at best. I've never been. You were the down man. <laughs> yeah, no, really. It was new Orleans would get, and we had like three or four X NBA guys. Like, do you realize who you're talking to right now? Um, <laughs> I play like, I, I'm a combination of like John Bagley and Boris DL. Um, prior, prior to DL making threes, a lot of elbow action, um, good back. Top of key to top of key. Kind of like the last no, 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 year no, Weber. I, I, I play really hard. I mean, I cut. Oh, okay. I just can't shoot. I can't finish, and I'm a bad athlete. So beyond that, I, I bring a lot Other than to the that. table. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I can pass and dribble. Um, I, I joke quite a bit that I, when I was growing up, it was the advent of that N1 era. I was in Baltimore, so we all went to dribble. You know, was, so I, I have all that garbage. I just it, it doesn't really do much when you can't move and you're 43 and fat. But um, I don't. We're not. We have two or three guys that are way too intense and we tend to not enjoy playing with those guys. We have a couple of guys that treat it. Their whole sole goal is to win. So like ISO down, down, leave me, leave me, leave me. And we're like, again, man, that's not how we play the nuggets. We're not going to play that way in, in these games. Um, we have some good players, but it's uh, usually ends in either an injury or, um, or laughter, but it's, it's fun. Man. It's, I think it's, it's fun to still go out there and play, but I mean, what else are you going to do? Man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Um, I know it's been a, it's a long grind for, for not just, you know, look, the players, everybody involved and all this stuff. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, that game seven is something I'm never, ever going to forget, man. And I definitely underestimated the team um, because it's a, it's hard for me until I've kind of seen it, you know, until I've seen it where I go, oh, and now I just, you know, I'm just going to look at this team, the toughness uh, differently because of what you've done. What you've done is historic. So I'm happy for you, man. No, well, thanks for having me, man. And believe me, it's I don't think because, again, those two guys in particular, and, our, and it's not just those two guys, obviously, but I think it's what we talked about earlier. They don't look like superstars. And, you know, sometimes your eyes are the last one to know. But I think 
if you look at what they've done at 23, 25 year olds, I would challenge us to find like a better duo in the first four or five years. And it's, it's neat to watch. It's, and those guys are just nice, normal dudes. And hopefully we can continue it against a, a stack Lakers team. Thanks, Ted. Thanks a ton, man. I appreciate it. All right. That was great. We're going to check in with Shazier here in a second, but this podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. We're teaming up with FanDuel again this football season, but we've got something new this time around. All season long, you can play the free Ringer Mega Contest on FanDuel. Here's how it works. Just pick five NFL games against the spread, including one double-down pick. Double-down. Get one point for every correct pick, and two if you hit your double-down pick. FanDuel will add up your score every week. Just finish in the top 100 on the season-long leaderboard to make the playoffs and compete for a share of $25,000. It's that simple. Okay, this week's pick. Uh, last week, not a great start. Got the one game wrong. New England, Seattle, uh... I don't know if everybody's going to be in on this one, but Seattle minus three and a half. It opened. It's now minus four. I just think even though Seattle gave up 450 passing yards to Ryan, they were in control of the game and Ryan was chucking it nonstop. I mean, there was that bad turnover short field and that thing kind of opened the whole game up. But New England, yeah, I don't know. I, I got to see it against a better team before I'm ready. Now, I never thought they were going to be terrible, but um, that's the play. That's the play. And as far as... The double down, what do we need? Somebody to go over 35 points, Kyle? These are the rules. That's the rule. One team has to go over 35? Yeah. Um, give me give me New Orleans on the road to Vegas to go over 35 points. All right, there you go. And if you miss week one, you can still get into the Ringer Mega Contest. It's not too late. The top 100 make the playoffs to compete for a share of $25,000. Play the Ringer Mega Contest for free every week, only on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com forward slash Mega Contest to make your picks today. That is FanDuel.com forward slash Mega Contest. Really excited to talk to one of our newest members of the Ringer family here. Uh, played in the NFL for a bunch of years. Ryan Shazier, now also part of Tuesday's The Ringer NFL Show with Cole Wright, somebody I knew back at ESPN. And we're going to talk some football. But I think both of us are still sitting here. I know I'm in shock post Nuggets Clippers. I mean, shout out to the Nuggets, but I still I cannot believe what I saw from the Clippers in the fourth. I know it's not. I know you're a basketball guy too. So, like, what do you what do you make of that when you see other athletes struggling the way we saw LA? So, so like, it, it was crazy to me because I'm actually a, a huge Kawhi fan. I'm a Spurs fan, so um, I know my wife hates me saying that because she's from San Antonio. So, but it was it was crazy <laughs> just to see Kawhi play that bad. You know, like. He's normally he's super efficient. He's super on point. Doesn't make many mistakes. And him and him and the Clippers, they 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 couldn't bring they couldn't bring the pieces together. They they didn't look they didn't look good at all. You know, uh, and just and it wasn't just that one game in Game Seven. It was every game leading up to the Game Seven. Being up three one, then losing every single one when you were up is is ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's. Um... It's always kind of like, you know, I feel like one of the things that that I don't love about the job is that we can't always know. Like, just like when you were playing, you would hear stuff said about your team. And I'm sure there were constant times you're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like, he doesn't know right. anything that he's saying. But for the Clippers right. now, we can say, well, we saw this coming and we knew. It. But then I'll always kind of be like, well, how the hell did they get up 3-1? If they're this much of a yeah. disaster, how do they get up 3-1 in the first place? And it still was was a team that was a two seed when this was all said and done. So I don't know. What did you see? 
from from a team part of it where like can it happen can a team just be wrong chemistry wise where even though there's all this talent it just doesn't really happen I mean does that happen in football is that what you see with the Clippers oh no that definitely can happen uh, if, the, if the chemistry doesn't match and you start bumping heads or things just don't go in order players aren't playing like they like you expect them to play things can definitely get out of uh get out of whack but I think what happened to the Clippers I mean, you hate saying this, but I think they got lackadaisical. You know, I feel like they got up. Uh, they, you know, they're like, we're 3-1. We're the Clippers. These are the Nuggets. Obviously, they're a good team, but, like, there's no way they're going to beat us in these next three games. And because every game, every game besides the final game, they were up big, you know. So for them to actually get it beat pretty bad in the next three games after being up 15 points, 17 points, is I think they got lackadaisical and, and, and it, it, it happens with professional teams too. You know, once you, when you're a really good team, sometimes you just don't think you can get beat. And, and once, once the momentum starts for the other guys, it's, it's too late. Yeah. That's definitely the case in that last one because the other ones they're up. And then that last game, you could just see like, Oh my God, this is real. Like we're actually down and now we can't do anything. And then everybody fell apart. And then Kawhi was terrible in the fourth quarter, but, um, you know, I've, I've been the last couple of days. I'm like, look, I got to see Kawhi do that a bunch of times for me to start writing off Kawhi. He was bad in game seven, but now I'm not like ready to reclassify him. He's your favorite player. Yeah. So like LeBron's my favorite player, but I I, I feel like LeBron's like Jordan. Like you can't say like LeBron's my favorite player. You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody likes Michael Jordan. Everybody likes LeBron. So it's just, you know, obviously I love LeBron. Um, but Kawhi is my favorite player, just all around basketball. He's super efficient, doesn't many make many mistakes. When he goes to the free throw line, he catches them. He's good at the three point line. He's good taking it to the rack. You know, he can help develop things if he need to. But and then he he's great at defense. So he's like a super all around player. And it was kind of cool to see him develop with the Spurs. You know, he he was he wasn't uh, as good at the beginning of his career, and he developed into that. You know, the thing that's kind of cool about LeBron is. He was the chosen one since he was 15 years old. You know, I, I, it wasn't the same case for for Kawhi, you know, and I think that's kind of cool. How often was LeBron in Columbus when you were at Ohio State? Um, he actually, when I was in uh, at Ohio State, he wasn't there that much, but... Well, he was, he came, what, back to Cleveland the year you were, a, you got drafted maybe? Is that right? Yeah, I think it was, I think, I think it was the year I got, um, Yeah. No, no, no. He was in Miami when I was at Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. So I think he came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he came back. Yeah, he came back to Cleveland the year I got drafted. Yeah. So uh um we he wasn't there a whole lot, but when I got drafted and I came back to a few games, then I started seeing him in Columbus a little, a little bit more. Yeah, because he has a locker there and everything, right? Or is that yeah, the basketball yeah. team? No, it's a football. No, team. He has a lot. He has he has a locker in the basketball. And then I I've been in the locker room before. I think he does have like a locker room in the football. They have like a lot of retired guys on the football team that have lockers. Um, not retired guys, but guys that used to play there that have lockers. And then I think LeBron. I think LeBron does have a locker. I'm, I I haven't, I haven't been back in a year, especially because of Corona. So I have to I I have to I'm having a blank right now, but I think he does. Yeah, I'm, I might be putting you on the spot there because I know I just see constant LeBron lockers and considering everything gets updated all the time so the schools can spend all the money that they get by upgrading everything. What made you, uh, you're a Florida kid, right? So mm -hmm. what 
what made you go Ohio State? Not that that's a bad choice. Obviously, we're talking about one of the like the five programs you would go to if you're as good as you are. But what was uh, what was the reason behind the Buckeyes? So I was actually committed to Florida pretty much my whole uh, high school, uh, my whole high school. And Coach Meyer was, and I was one of the guys that went to school early. So I went to school in January. Coach Meyer was going to be my coach at Florida. Then he resigned with two weeks for me to go to college. And with that being said, literally the next day after he resigned, I took enough. Like it was crazy because Ohio State and LSU were both at my school. And the day he resigned and I literally talked to the coaches and I even talked to my parents yet. And I was like, man, I understand that coach might resign, but uh, I was like, I'm going to need to go see. Um, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to go visit these schools. Like I'm because like, I'm like, man, my coach is going, I'm, I'm like, my, my recruitment is opening up immediately. <laughs> and, like, I wasn't thinking about it. I was like, my recruitment is open immediately. And the new coaches came and uh, I went to visit all, I went to visit all, LSU the next day, no, that weekend. Then I went to Ohio State. So within within seventy two hours, I was at two different schools after Coach Meyer resigned, and I visited both. And I just thought uh, Ohio State was the best fit for me. You know, just the guys. Um, and then me and my dad like to think over everything, and we we're saying it would be pretty cool if I get drafted to somebody cold. At least I'll be adjusted to it if I'm up north. If I'm at Florida, I'm gonna hate the cold for my whole life. And, and uh, I would never want to be up here, but the fact that I went to Ohio State, I don't have a I don't have a problem being in the cold at all anymore. Okay, so let me just back up a second though, because we know about the early enrollment thing. I mean, it happens constantly all the time. It happens to a lot of quarterbacks, probably more so than any other position. But does that mean you were walking around like taking classes when you would have been in high school at Florida, but then you ended up bouncing to Ohio State? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. That's exactly what happened. How weird is it? How how weird is it though to be a high school kid and then you're walking around like it's weird enough to be a freshman, but then it's also yeah, no. you. So everybody knows who you are, but you're kind of supposed to be in high school and you're walking around Gainesville, or and you're I assume you're going out like that has to be a really weird culture deal where it's like December high school student, January yeah. we're we're yeah. out we're in it. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was crazy. You know. Uh, um, I actually, I thought it was pretty cool. You know, I was spending time with my teammates. You know, I definitely was going out and things like that and uh, going to parties. But then uh, when I had like prom and things like that, I had went back to high school just to, you know, <laughs> spend that time with my friends too. So it was like, I was like part high school, part college. But it, it was a, a, a really uh, crazy time. Um, it, the thing that was, th that made it worse for me was just like, when I talked about a cold, was the cold. It was because when I got to Ohio State, it was like negative 10 degrees and I left from Florida and it was 70. So it was, what was worse for me was actually just walking to class in the cold. You know, I used to think that guys would at least have like a car or something to get the transportation. I didn't know kids walk half a mile in the, in the tundra to go to class. And I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> it's lucky. They're lucky you stuck around um, yeah. from the sounds of it. Yeah, no, nah, it was it was tough. It was tough. At first, I was like, I don't know why I came up here. I should have just stayed down south. But then, it it really helped me out uh, as I as I grew. And then now I'm I'm a you know I'm a Yenzer. That's what people in Pittsburgh call themselves. I'm a Yenzer, so I stay here full time. So uh, I think I'm cool with it. Just like Ohio State's one of the brand names uh, in college. Like when, again, you, you can't really do 
um, much better than than a handful of those schools. I think to be a linebacker and to end up in Pittsburgh is a special thing. Like that's one of the yeah. few things in the NFL where you go. What was that that transition from being drafted and to go to this team with all this history, especially at that position, and and play the way you did early on? What was that like? Man, it, it was it was amazing. You know, to, to be able to go to the franchise that has the most championships. Unfortunately, now we're tied, but uh, but to go to you know to go to the Steelers to to be the franchise. That's that's known for winning. To be with a coach that's known for winning, and then a coach that's that's known for caring about his players, man. Um, it, it was really uh great. You know, I, I couldn't I couldn't ask for a better a better story. You know, um, coach Coach Tomlin, he's he's really been a true inspiration and a true uh mentor for me, and you know, a great a great guy. Uh, and it was just awesome just to be part of a team that has so much history. You know. We there are so many linebackers that came before me that are Hall of Famers and that are, you know, the Ring of Honors or they might not even be in the Hall of Fame, but they're still going to be talked about when football is 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And just to know that I was one of those guys that people might be talking about 10, 20 years from now because of the legacy I left with such a, a historic franchise. It just it felt it felt amazing. I was making this joke a little bit earlier this this week when I was talking with Dilfer, but I always feel like week one of the NFL season, I look at these teams and I fall in love with everybody's front seven because everybody's healthy. Like, yeah. They have all of their guys out there. Yeah. Uh, but Pittsburgh's front seven, and we know Watt, um, we know Cameron, but Bud Dupree, who those of us that watch him in Kentucky and, and just know like the physical gifts of him, watching Pittsburgh and watching him kind of do it more defensively because I would say when you were there it was really a, a team that liked to get out and throw the football as much as anybody mm-hmm. yeah. um, not that you didn't have good defense but you understand like the, the yeah I the, don't understand the, the team yeah I'm not I'm not dumping on your defense there <laughs> but what did you see from the Steelers in that first week that uh, was maybe the thing that stood out to you the most to me I was really just excited to see the the defense looked at, they looked at damn good man um when, whenever uh, Ben Roethlisberger has more passing, rushing yards than Saquon Barkley, that lets you know that you're doing something right. You know, uh, I, I was just, I was just excited to see that. I was just excited to see that everybody um, was just looking smooth out there, just uh, trusting the, trusting the scheme, um, and then uh, just mo- looking fast, man. The, the defense looked really fast out there, and it, it's good to see everybody healthy. You know. Tua has went through a little spree when he had got hurt a few times, and then Cam had went got hurt a little bit. But to see all of them healthy, and I, I feel like if this defense stay healthy, they're they're going to be a problem in the NFL. They're going to be a really big problem. Who's the toughest guy for you to tackle when you played? Man, it's it's crazy. I played a video game, and uh, the guys I was playing a video game just asked me that. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say. Le'Veon was probably one of the hardest guys for me to tackle at the time when I was playing. I would say Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott, and then uh, Leonard Fournette was really hard to tackle too. He just runs really hard, you know, and you you just have to respect how he runs, man. Um, and the thing is with Zeke, you, he can jump over you, he can shake you, he can run over you, and he can outrun you. So uh, a guy like that, it makes it really hard. You know, I never had to go against Saquon or anything like that, but – I feel at the time Zeke or Fournette was really hard to tackle. The thing is with Fournette, you know what he's bringing to the table, and he's still just going to give it to you. Yeah, That's wow. I didn't, ex- I didn't expect to hear Fournette in there just because the. Not that I don't think he's he's good necessarily, but it's just that 
between, well, Saquon, you didn't have to go up against, but I think Zeke is a really good example of that, especially now, too, the way he catches the football. Um, but it's just kind of been surprising that Fournette maybe isn't more consistently a, an impact kind of player. So I don't know. I don't know if that changes. To me, I feel with Fournette, it's hard to be an impact when you don't have that much other impact on your team either. Like Le'Veon is super easy to be an impact because he had so much other guys around him, but Le'Veon was still the best running back at the time. You know, with, with Fournette, it, he didn't have as many weapons, so it, it's kind of harder for him to be a huge impact for the for a team. But but I'm not going to compare Fournette to Saquon because obviously Saquon, well, last night didn't like well not last night, but Monday night didn't show well. But he doesn't really need much help to be Saquon Barkley. Like at the end of the day, Saquon's going to do Saquon type of things, but. And, and he doesn't need much help. But, you know, most other running backs, they have somebody around them, and it, it makes it better for the team. Did you get a chance to watch any of the Kyler Murray stuff in their win against San Francisco? Oh, yeah, man. I I, I projected Kyler as as to be my uh, league MVP this year. What? Wait a minute. You have yeah. him as you I – didn't, I didn't see that coming. So I guess you did watch him. Yeah, the reason, the reason I say that – the reason the reason I projected that is because we we've been on a streak, uh, I think two straight years, of guys in their second year winning the MVP, I think, and um, Kyler Murray won Offensive Player of the Year last year, so he definitely showed he's capable. And I just think the the way the league is going right now with with the type of quarterbacks we have in the league, I I just feel he brings he he brings a lot of value to the table, and then them bringing Hop over there for him, somebody that he can consistently throw to play in and play out. I think, I think, I think, I, I just, I just think it's just a shocker. Obviously, I don't know if it's a hundred percent there, but I just, I think, man, it's, it's not a bad argument. It's a surprising pick. I'm not saying it's a bad yeah. argument. I, that one just, that one surprised, but I see what you're saying. You're saying, all right, look at Mahomes, look at Lamar second year. That's when it kicked in. Um, yeah. So that you're just and following I, the trend. Like, I don't feel like anybody expected Lamar to win the, the MVP last no, year at the beginning no. of the season. Not no. one person. Not one person projected Mahomes to win the MVP the, the year before. So you're just trying like, to get in front of it. I'm just trying to get in front of it. Okay. Help uh, help those of us that don't know how it works. Help me understand different players. And maybe we can go over a few of these. I don't know if it's a quarterback. I don't know if it's offensive line. But like the keys that you would look for. The things that you would say like, oh, this tackle does this on runs. This guy does this on passes. You know, I used to sit with Jonathan Vilma a lot. He's a cane. You know, played for the Saints, played for the Jets. And he would show me tape that he was watching. And he was like always, Vilma is the most... No one's a bigger fan of Jonathan Vilma than Jonathan Vilma. And I can say that. <laughs> but he would be like, I can I can figure out everybody's tell. I'll always be able to figure it out. And then he would show me some of these things with college games that he was prepping for. And a lot of times I'd be like, oh, man, he's onto something. So give me, uh, do you have a story about a tell that you were able to figure out, um, whether it was a quarterback, pre-snap stuff, maybe a tackle, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe the center would do something. Is there a time that you remember kind of figuring something out? So this is a cheat code for a lot of guys that uh, uh, I don't know if he's going to get a chance to get back in the league. If he does, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, he has a good run. If not, you know, it is what it is. Um, Every play, every pass play, AB used to strap up his gloves. Antonio. Antonio. But if it wasn't a pass play, 
he he was he, like you would just see him messing with his gloves. But like if it wasn't pass, if it was a run play, he wouldn't touch his gloves. He would just be just chilling. But if it's a pass play, he's messing with his gloves every single time. So like, did you say that to team. him? He's your teammate. Would you go, hey, what are you doing? No, like you know, we just say hey, AB every time. You know, you think it, like every time it's a pass play, you know, you mess with your gloves sometimes, and it just sometimes you fix it, and sometimes you just kept doing it. You know, but it's like he's he's kind of one of those guys. Like, all right, well, stop it. I guess <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing fine, guys. <laughs> all right, now, nah, but uh, but let me see. Uh, Travis Kelsey when he runs his routes on uh, certain routes. Like he dips his shoulder, like he dips when he's running like double moves. But if he's just running like, uh, like an in or in route or whatever, he's gonna try to uh, force you to uh, force you to to adjust to him. Like he's gonna like use his body more. But if he's just doing like doing double move routes, he like he dips a little bit more. Um, uh, let me see somebody else. Um, Ricky quarterbacks a lot of times. When they're when they're throwing the ball, uh, when they're doing their reads, if they're trying to look off a, a, a defense, they'll look where they're going. Uh, they'll look. They'll try to look really quick to the opposite side that they're going. So like they'll just do like a really quick look to try to get the defense to go over there, but they're coming back to the right every time. So a lot of rookie quarterbacks they'll look to their left for say, like literally like one second, like they hike the ball, look to their left, and then immediately come back to the right and they're staying to the right. Uh older quarterbacks when they read when they read you they they kind of progress it a little bit slower. Um uh who uh and then sometimes you can just tell by people knuckles with O line and D line too. Did did Brady have anything? Uh Brady Brady's one of those guys that's kind of tough man. He just he's pretty solid all the way around. Uh it was it wasn't it wasn't much Stuff that Brady would do. Uh, one thing that Brady used to do, I don't, he he kind of changed it. <clears throat> Wherever the pass play, his play action fake will be, he's throwing it to the other side. So would you know that going? All right, even though it's not a hundred percent, if I can read play action, which is hard enough for linebackers in, in the first place. I mean, it's just it's just hard for you guys, you know, like the same thing, the blocking. You would you go okay? It's play action, and and would you just take the risk to just jump jump to the other side? Yeah, uh, so a lot of times, uh, like, it'll be play action, and then I was like, all right. But, like, you kind of got to just see, like, play action, and then you look back real quick to see how the route's developing. And then if you see a route developing that way, you'll try to sprint over there as fast as possible, especially if if you have a, a good hunch. If it's about an 80% hunch, I'm going to bet on 80 more than I'm going to bet on 20, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Okay, so I think that's that was actually great, Ryan. That was, that was terrific. Um, I could do that all day, but – does that mean now when you watch a Lamar on film, you watch a Kyler on film, I and mean, Mahomes isn't doing the stuff that the first two guys are doing, how hard is it to read any of this stuff? Because I think Kyler, too, a lot of it, especially because he's, not that he's so much younger, he's only a year behind Lamar, but there's some design stuff there for Kyler, and there's also stuff for him where he's just quick enough to go ahead. So you can't really read the thing that isn't designed, but how, how challenging or what kind of things are you looking for on some of that mesh point stuff that those guys are doing? Specifically, so so with, with with guys like Kyler and Lamar, you force them you force them to get the ball off. So it, it makes it makes them when you make them hand the ball off, you make the running back beat you. Um, so and the thing is that a lot of teams like to do if you're doing a read option, the quarterback is considered a running back now. So pretty much, 
if you you can hit him no matter what. So he can hand the ball off and you still hit him. And they can't complain to the ref. So one thing a lot of physical teams like to do, no matter what, even if you make him hand the ball off, we're still hitting you. Yeah. Like that so like now that makes the coaches be like, ah, I don't want to run this read option because we like they're gonna hit our guy no matter what. You know, so now you don't want Kyler or Lamar just taking hits. You know, secondly, uh with Lamar and Kyler, Kyler's a little bit harder for me than Lamar. The reason I say this is because Lamar is a lot uh I'm gonna say he's a lot better with his legs, but Lamar is super deadly with his legs. Um you know, his arm is still catching up. Kyler's arm is good, you know. So, um, and both of them are really good at improvising and, and making people miss in the backfield. So that makes it harder to read those guys. And it always puts defense on their P's and Q's because they're like, man, uh, this might, this guy might run. If he breaks one of the D-linemen tackles, now we're back in coverage and he already has a 15-yard head start on us. Because you know he's he he beat somebody back, so that means he probably lost five five yards to beat that guy. But then now he's running full speed, and I know this guy is shifty, and I'm and I'm trying to catch this guy. He's running a four four or four three speed, or you know, so it, it makes it makes it really tough on those guys. We know last year the Pats defense was statistically uh, the best. I don't know that um, a lot of us thought they were the best. We know they've had a bunch of guys opt out. Um, San Francisco, you know, we we could talk a little bit about. Buckner not being up front, but still, I mean, personnel-wise, there's a ton of guys I like. Give me the three or four teams you think defensively are just better than everybody else. Ravens, Steelers. This last one's a little tricky. I'm trying to figure it out. I like the Bills defense. Yeah. I feel like their defense. I like I like the Bills defense. I think their defense is really solid. They have really strong corners. They have a good de- a good front seven. Um, I, 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 they they have strong secondary. That's what I mean. Um, I, I think I think they have a really solid solid core. I like them a lot. Yeah, last but, year but, when I but the pack but, but the Packers have a good defense too. So it's I, I'm gonna have to give you four. I'm sorry about that. No, don't don't be don't be because the reason I was jumping in there is I just remember consistently all year long doing the show with Chris Long. You know, he would say, you know, who I like. He's like every week we'd be coming in doing prep, and he'd say Buffalo, Buffalo. Like, I really like that team on defense. And they had some awesome moments last year. And, you know, it's really up to Josh Allen to kind of take them the next step. I want to ask you about, um, you know, it's almost three years ago. So I, I know you probably talked about this. I don't know if you hate talking about it or you like talking about it. The injury, Monday Night Football, um, like I said, is almost three years ago. Uh, what's, what's it been like for you to go from that point to kind of here now, a few years removed from it and, and transition to the next part of your life? You know, it's been it's, it's been a little bittersweet. You know, uh, it's been ups and downs. You know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm I'm really excited that I'm just constantly getting better. I'm constantly rehabbing. I'm constantly just uh, just growing as a man, growing as a person, and just kind of trying to continue to learn more and more every day. But uh, it's, it's a little bittersweet. At the end of the day, I've been playing football since I was five years old. You know, and and that's that's something that I always love doing. You know, you can't just re- replicate playing football than uh, any other thing that you do. You know, anybody that ever played a sport and they love that sport dearly, they they know exactly what I mean. You know, it's it's kind of hard to replace that feeling you get from the enjoyment of playing that playing sports. So that that's 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 something that's been really hard on me. Um, the way I got hurt, that that really hurt too, because it's just like man. 
Um, I, I, I don't like to sound like a butthole sometimes when I say this, but when you watch when you watch sports, you rarely see the best guy get hurt, like especially like season ending injuries. And I felt like at the time I was one of the best guys in the NFL, you know. So um it, it really hurt not being able to play anymore. But uh but I think it's just a, a learning lesson. You know, God just is, wants me to help others. Uh, wants me to just give more awareness to the injury that I had because I know when I, before I got hurt, I didn't know much about spinal cord injuries and things like that. But you know, now I, I have a lot more awareness of being able to help a lot more people. And you know, I just I just love the game of football. So I, I'm I'm still gonna watch it. I'm still gonna try to learn more about how to make the game better. Learn more about. Uh, what guys are doing, but and they, it still just it just hurts. It just hurts sometimes. How long did it take for you to be able to go back and watch the play? Um, actually, I went back and why? Uh, yeah, it took me a while. It probably, probably like, took me like a few months. I, I, I like I, I watched it uh, like one time after I got hurt, but then I, then after that, it took me a few months to watch it again. What was your reaction the first time you watched it? That it was just a regular hit. I, I hit people way harder than that, and and I I didn't get hurt. You know, I've been in situations that have been way worse than that, and just the, the fact that I got hurt from that, it, it was just crazy to me. I I thought, you know, if if I was to get hurt, you know, it would have been something completely different. But I didn't I didn't see that being the reason that my football career would have been over with. You know, so it was just it was crazy. Did you notice how hard it was for people to figure out how to talk to you after that? You know, teammates be like, do we, do we tell them about this stuff? Um, I know Tomlin was great, but I'm just, I mean, it's, you're the person it's happened to, but no one really, there's probably a lot of people close to you that didn't know how to navigate it with you. Did you, did you pick up on a lot of that? Yeah. You know, people are just, people feel sorry for you, you know? So, and the thing is, I just, I just hate feeling sorry for it, but, and they, you know, people don't know much much else to say. So, um, and then I was, I was cool with everybody. Everybody, you know, they gave all their, their respect, but you could definitely tell that, uh, it made some people feel a little uncomfortable, you know, uh, with me being hurt, but, and then people didn't really treat me any different. They just, they just felt sorry for the situation that I was dealing with. Well, look, we just met. Okay. And like I said, I'm happy to have you be uh doing some stuff with the ringer but i'll just tell you like a lot of people probably have that you don't know and you may never talk to again but seeing you get up and walk and i remember the first time i saw it and a lot of us i remember we were at espn that day we were working and you know we're, we're watching and, and it was inspiring and it was emotional and it was all these things and it was just something that you were able to do in this tragedy in the aftermath of this tragedy where you could actually impact people um looking at you and looking at your story in a, in a really positive way. And I think that's the thing that you've done here, despite the fact that I know deep down how much you want to be playing football. And, and I know that has to be tough sometimes, but at least if there's any way to find a positive out of it, I, I'm sure you probably realize that, but I know I had that moment one of the first times I saw you up again. So thanks for that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, well, Ryan, seriously, man, I, I do really appreciate it. Looking forward to every Tuesday with you guys, uh, you, you and Cole Wright. Man, I, I appreciate that, Ryan, man. And um, I love that you got the E in your name instead of the A. So uh, 
uh, <laughs> no one else does. I'll let my parents know we've got to vote that uh, they like it. People think that I did it. People think that I somehow had input on that. <laughs> like, what's up with this guy? Why does he have an E? I'm like, hey man, I was not negotiate. It was not. It was not. Uh, it was not for of- negotiation. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> no, well, that's but- cool, man. I appreciate but, that. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was great. It was great talking to you, man. And um, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll talk again soon. Now it's time for the State Farm Surprisingly Great segment of the week. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like Rajon Rondo hitting threes left and right against the Houston Rockets. We've spent all season long wondering who that other guy is going to be for the Lakers. And they've argued, well, it's going to be a bunch of different guys at times. You know what I didn't think it was ever going to be? Was Rondo hitting 54% of his threes in that series against the Rockets. He took three and a half per game. All right. So that means he's hit one and a half. He's taking three and a half. He's keeping you honest. He didn't really have to do anything shooting wise in the final game where they won by, I don't know, 23 points in this one. But let's just remind ourselves of who Rondo has been. Just a reminder, when he was in Boston from 06 to 2015, Rondo had one year where he was above 30% from three. And that was his third year where he hit 31% on half an attempt a game. I mean, he actually had 21% one year, 23, 23, 24, 25, 54%. Now, again, it's not a ton, but that that existed was really surprising. State Farm agents provide personal service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs, like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our surprisingly great player from the last week was Rajon Rondo. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. If you want to send in a life advice submission to Kyle, you can at lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Just listen to how relaxed I am now, Kyle. I kind of sat back on the couch, got a few of these queued up. New angle. English, Yeah, English people like to say it's in the queue. Remember that? Do you remember when Netflix had a queue, or are you too young for that? No, yeah, we were, they were coming to my house, man. Nice, nice, dude. What was your big go-to, Monster Garage with Jesse James? Ah, uh, shit. The rundown with The Rock. I just would get it all the time. Sean William Scott and The Rock. It's one of the best movies. That's when they're in the jungle, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Christopher Walken. What's going on with Sean William Scott lately? You want to pull that up? You I don't know. I think he quick? was like, I think he was a 2000s guy. I think that was just his he deal. He does feel like a 2000s guy. I just, I don't know. Is he in anything? Is he attached to anything loosely? Is he in development? Now I'm going to pull it up if you're not going to do it. I'm I'm looking at it. I'm just I don't see anything after 2012, but I'm sure there's something. Um Ah man, this is always a bummer as you get older. He's he's younger than me. I feel like he's done. Is he really? Yeah, I feel like he's done get more. Out. Yeah, I feel like he's done more. Now, am I in a better position now than he, he is? That's that's the real question. Super troopers too. Because in ninety five he was that? killing me. Or ninety nine. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing in ninety five. I mean, look at this run. American Pie, American Wedding. Dude, where's my car? 
American Pie 2. I remember my dad took my younger brother to, he called me. He's like, I just had to sit through, dude, where's my car? <laughs> At the theater. Um, he was in Aerosmith, in an Aerosmith video. That was before American Pie. Mm, what else? Bulletproof Monk. Ice Age voiceover. Oh, Ice Age, Ice Age voiceover and then a video game. Uh, wow, the Ice Age checks came rolling in. Ice Age Continental <laughs> Drift. Ice Age American Christmas. Who's in Ice Age? Crash. 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 Ice Age Collision Course. God. Ice Age The Great Eggscapade. Get it? TV short. How about Goon? That was a good choice by him. Yeah, Goon was terrific. That's only three years ago. That's right. Good call. Good call on Goon. And then um, he was in... Uh, Bloodline. Lethal Weapon. Oh, wow. Blood- he, was the, he was a part of the Lethal Weapon reboot. Yeah, and just for everybody who understands, like guys who have runs and then they stop, it's a little bit like we said off the top. Like You're just going to crush a guy for being peppers in old school and then, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he should be proud of that. Imagine having one role like peppers. That, right. that would be incredible. I have zero. So, shout out to sws all the real ones out there okay let's go to i don't think i'm gaining on him right now but i think he's definitely got a big head start because that's something i used to do on the creative side kyle i would go like oh what's what's that person doing well how old are they what is their background like oh i've yeah you're gonna have to write and star in something yeah and you'll take a big leap towards him yeah because i'll be like oh he's still like five (laughs) years older than me now it's always like oh i'm how much older, how much younger is BTS? This, I'm getting there with young athletes now. It's weird. That's it. I think I'm now officially, when Vinatieri <laughs> bounced, like he was my last one. Damn, dude. He was my last one. It actually went a lot longer than you would have thought. All right, here we go. Um. All right, this guy wants to be anonymous because he... um. He values the few friends that he has. Okay. I was, wish I was um, reaching out for wrong profession, surplus of cash to make myself happy. Okay. But I'm in my mid-20s in a years, uh, few years removed from college, steady job that pays okay, but below six figures. I got married last year to my longtime girlfriend and one of our best friends was my best man. A few months after our wedding, our friends started dating a girl that we knew from school. It turns out that he believes this girl is the one. Um, I may have hit the wrong one, but it's too late now. So let's just go ahead. I don't think I want yeah, to. Yeah. All right. They got engaged this spring a little bit after COVID. Um, planning to have their wedding next month. My friend speaks highly of his fiance, my wife, um, blah, 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 blah. Because we haven't spent too much time with her since they haven't been dating. We've seen her maybe five times in the year they've been together, which is pretty crazy considering we used to hang out with our friend on a weekly basis before they started dating. That's another story. Dude, that's kind of just the way it goes, man. I mean, you know, whatever. So he says, I won't get into that one. My friend has told us that his fiance doesn't really care for us. She refuses to hang out with the friend group. With that being said, um, I will be one of the groomsmen in the wedding along with a handful of other guys from our close friend group. My wife and I are struggling to come up with a fair yet respectable gift to get the soon-to-be newlyweds. My wife and I got married, and my friend gave us a generous $150 gift, which paid for the price of his plate. Typical wedding etiquette from what I've been told. Uh we would like to do the same for him. However, the wedding is taking place in his parents' backyard and they'll be serving cheese and crackers, fast food, bottled beverages. Now you're probably thinking that's because they're just taking precaution of COVID, right? Nope. My friend is one of the COVID non-believers. 
and is refusing to provide masks or hand sanitizer at the wedding. The food will be served 100% buffet style. The seats at the ceremony will be next to one another, but there will be room for people to stand if they feel uncomfortable, not social distancing, you know, for all the elderly and pregnant women who want to stand for 30 minutes. To be honest, I really think that he wanted to plan a wedding during COVID just because everyone told him not to. Okay, this is, now I'm actually glad I read this one. Before the engagement, he said that he always wanted a long engagement and six months isn't very long, so obviously something changed his mind. It's probably the fiance part, but that's just me as a, as a surveyor of human behavior. Um, I'm sure you're assuming the couple must be tight with money, right? Yeah, you would think so, but that's not the case. My friend has a pretty good job, paying a pretty good paying job. Has been living with his parents rent free for years, with plenty of time to save up his money. Then the past month or so, he bought a new set of golf clubs, a new car for himself, a new car for his fiance, and continues to throw money away at online gambling sites or casinos on a weekly basis. Also, both his parents and his future in-laws are chipping in for the cost of the small wedding, about 70 people. I feel like it's also important to note that the grooms are required to rent $250 tuxedos for a backyard wedding. What are your thoughts? My wife and I, along with our friends, seem to think that a $50 gift card from the favorite restaurant or store will suffice, <laughs> but we don't want to Red come off rude. <laughs> By not following proper wedding gift giving etiquette of matching what he got for us. However, I'm feeling like I'm dumping more money into the wedding bachelor party tucks and helping out with the wedding setup than the groom is. Sort of unrelated side note, follow-up question. The bride used to date one of the guys in our friend group a few years back. The same guys in the group. The same guy is the groom's best man. That's gonna be a violation. Okay. Um Jesus, dude. Um, no wonder she doesn't like the friend group. Yeah, she just no wants to put as much space between them right. as she can. All right. Um, some of this is going to be a little harsh, but hang on. Who gives a shit how he spends his money? Who gives a shit about anything that he wants to do? And who, at this point, like, I know it sucks because he was part of your friend group and all that stuff, but like, I, I'll get a lot of emails that go, you know, I miss hanging out with my friends. I miss hanging out with my friends. <laughs> all of us that had awesome friends, but that's just like, it's really hard as you get older to go, hey, what do you guys want to do tonight? Like, it doesn't, it just doesn't happen. Like, those of them, those of the groups of, of guys, friends that still pull that stuff off and, like, all kind of live in the same neighborhood and that kind of thing, I envy the hell out of it, but it's very, very rare, okay? So you started throwing me a bunch of these money facts. Now, look, it sounds like she kind of isn't the greatest, um, but if your friend's happy, but I also think what's going to happen here is after this wedding, the relationship is going to be even, it's going to be cut down even more. So, like, I'm not saying that your observations are wrong. I'm just saying you're going to have to start to kind of, like, wean yourself off of this friendship. Because I think it's pretty clear, based on some of the signs you give me here, is that once this thing is done, you guys are going to be out of the picture. As far as the gift, yes, you are spending money. Yes, this non-COVID believer thing, backyard deal, kind of sucks. But, you know, it's their wedding. Let them do the wedding that they're going to do. And are you going to really try to prove a point over $100? Look, I'm, I'm actually on your side. But what I'm telling you is don't make a statement with a $50 gift card because you don't believe in the relationship. You're annoyed you're losing your friend. You don't like the way he spends his money. You don't like the setup that's sort of on the on the cheap for the wedding itself. You don't like the fact that there aren't masks. All these things. Bring masks, by the way. You do your own thing. But don't let all of that add up to you feeling like you're justified in giving what's a pretty bad wedding present. Um, and again, everybody's at a different economic level, so I'm not calling out everybody for a gift card, but it sounds like you were capable of doing the $150 wedding gift, but you kind of want to do the 50 because you're justified. It's a hundred bucks, man. 
like just just get him get him the hundred and fifty dollar gift, and I'm going to tell you, probably not going to be interacting with these people all that much after this anyway. Can I ask you about a wedding gift really quick? I've really been to one wedding when I was eleven, and my the next one that I got invited to just got postponed. What do you like? Wh- you just get something that's worth one hundred fifty dollars if there's not like a registry. No, it doesn't always have to be. It doesn't always have to be. I actually am off the charts bad because I would be like, oh, I want to do something cooler than just something on the wedding registry. And then I've like missed gifts. Okay. You get him the freak book. From, no, from Larry David. <laughs> right. So I, but, but, but I have come up huge. Everybody that I kind of jammed up on the no wedding gift, I didn't do it because I was like, oh, I'm not going to get you a wedding gift. But there's like a handful of some of my best friends. That I'd be like, look, do you want the wedding gift for me now or do you want it in like 10 years when things are way better? So my one <laughs> buddy who will go by the name of Hal, who not only did I not get he and his lovely bride a wedding gift, I called him the Friday before his wedding. I was living in Boston and I was like, dude, Pacers Celtics tonight. I think it was Pacers Celtics playoffs, Yankees Red Sox, and then the NFL draft was also that Saturday. And I was hosting my first ever draft show from Foxborough that day. It was when Vince Wolfrick was drafted. So it was that year. So I'm pretty sure all three of these things were happening in a sports weekend at the same time. And I call him like in the afternoon and go, hey, I think I got Celtics Pacers playoff tickets. You in? He's like, am I in? Dickhead, I'm getting married in the Cape tomorrow. <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, dude. And, you know, he's got the thick accent. So he's like, dude, are you, are you not coming to my... Like, are you coming to my wedding? Or, like... Actually, it doesn't sound like that. He's got a better. He's got a better accent. I'm doing like a bad one right now. Um, I was like, "Uh, wait." On the draft, I go. I'm hosting a show, and he goes, "Dude, you didn't RSVP. I put you down as one because I figured you're just a moron who didn't send back the card, which is fine because we're know how this fun. works, <laughs> right? But I put you down, and now you're not even coming. And I was like, "Uh, I, you know, I got the draft." He's like, "Just drive to the Cape." He's like, just drive to the Cape after the draft and do the reception and then hang out with everybody. Like Saturday night's the real night, so we're all together anyway. And I was like, yeah, dude, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> um, in 2018, I got us like third row World Series tickets. I was going to say, you got to have to bring that guy to the Super Bowl or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. So long play how made out on the deal, but I still feel pretty bad about that one because that was a classic 20s Rosillo moment where... I'm like, oh, I'm going to call my buddy Hal and see if he wants to go to the Celtics playoffs. And he's like, I'm a great friend. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I'm getting married tomorrow and you've done nothing. You couldn't RSVP and now you're telling me hours before you're not coming. I was like, yep, yep, that's what I'm doing. So, all right. Uh, This wedding's going to cost me $1,000 and I haven't even got him a gift. So I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Yeah, right, right. Sucks. Okay. Um, by the way, I got a lot of Toronto emails from people after my rant about um, the Raptors fans that said the worst stuff that has ever been said to me or my family. Um, I appreciate those that chimed in after the fact, uh, apologizing on behalf. I'm, I, you know, look, I saw a bunch of them, so we're cool. Uh, no problem. Okay. You know what that means? That means... We should do this. We should just give out a Madden code. How about that? Wow, really sneaking it in in the middle of a segment. Yep. I'm going to Madden code you real quick here. Hashtag Madden 21. This is for a PS4. RRQ4N8NB. 
That's N is in Nancy, 4M2Q. All right, we got one more life advice. There's another one I, that you sent me, Kyle, that I, I can't seem to find. So I'm going to read this one instead because um, I'm not going to search for it forever here. And people got stuff to do. Okay, here we go. Uh, love the show. Been listening before uh, SVP kept Kevin Durant off his top five small forward list. That was uh, that was an unbelievable show. We all decided to do like summer content and we ranked the top five players at each position in the NBA and we did it over the course of a week. And it was when it was Adams, Abaca, Durant, Westbrook, maybe Robertson. I don't, I don't remember. Um, but it was, it was comical because he left Durant off of his top five small forward and Durant's like his favorite player you know DC guy similar game on and off the court um but we were Stanford Steve and I were giddy we're like okay let him go first we're like oh, did you see his card we're like no he left Durant off of it oh my god and then like Scott would look up he had a good sense he's like what's going on we're like nothing's going on shut up <laughs> stop looking at us and then, like, I was, sometimes I have a great poker face, and then sometimes I have none. And I was, like, he'd just look and be like, what? I'd be like, nothing. Just do your forward list. Just do your small forwards. Tell us who your top five are. The, the, tell us who the best ones are. And then he does it, and we just start dying laughing. And um, Scott's like, what? We're like, Durant. He's like, Durant's a power forward. We're like, Serge Ibaka. He's like, oh. So there you go. All right. Back to our email here. I'm in a bit of a predicament. 29 years old between Miami and New Jersey for work. Started dating a coworker of mine about a year and a half ago. I know don't poop where you eat, but I did. She's in a different department, but still in sales. So we do have to coexist. Uh, things are starting to get pretty rocky now. We disagree on literally everything on the planet from politics to sports to religion. You name it. The political relationships. I don't know what's taken down more relationships. COVID or this presidential election. Um, because a lot of people just, I've had people who just go, I'm, I'm not friends with this person anymore, strictly because of who they're supporting for president. And you're like, wow, but that's happening. Yeah, people, people are uh, hot out there right now, walking around. All right. How can I break things off without having an impact on the job and the office life as it is? I've tried several times with no success, and it seems easier to stay in it rather than have to deal with seeing the person just broke up with every day of the week in the workplace. Um, we've both been relatively successful since we started dating, so really no way either of us would be fired or let go. I've worked my way up the ladder four or five years at this point. So not just a career I can leave to avoid a bad situation. Any suggestions? Thanks, man. Keep up the awesome podcast. Okay. Thank you for the note. All right. Uh, a few rules here. I know everybody always says the like, don't date from work. Um, I did it and it was great when we dated and it was really not great when we weren't, but we weren't ever really running into each other all that much. We could go long stretches without ever seeing anybody. It was just, it's always just a little tough because you know, you would, an athlete would roll by and be like, who's that girl over there? And I'd be like, oh, sweet. I remember Van Pelt and like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, no, she's cool. Because he was like trying to cut off the guy talking about it further. And as I was sitting there, just dying slowly on the inside. Um, but, you know, and Sony, I think it even said to me after the fact, like, you know, you should have done this. And the thing that always pissed me off about it was like, if she had asked you out, all hundred of you would have asked her out. And some of you already did anyway. So when the attractive girl at work <laughs> wants to date you, guess what rule goes out the fucking window? Uh, the window of, oh, you shouldn't date. And by the way, we were both like part-time employees and we lived in the same apartment building, which is where we met anyway. And then it was like, oh yeah, that's right. Christ. We both work in the same place. So again, when it didn't go great, it wasn't a very good time. Everything has since been reconciled. So everybody's fine. Everybody's having a great time. Uh, shout out to uh, 
Family Guy. I always love that time. We're like, hey, what's going on at this party? Oh, everybody's having a great time. So it it was fine. But, you know, we used to get, after Steve Phillips was the horniest man in America, we had to have this, this sit down with all of us where it was like, don't date, don't date anybody. Stop dating. And a bunch of people were looking at me and I was kind of like, you guys fuck <laughs> off. Like, again, I don't, I'm not even a full-time employee. And, you know, again, I already know half of you guys in this room tried. So like you could, you could look the other fucking way. All right. So this isn't really about the email anymore. And it's starting to be more about me. So <laughs> we're going to slow down. We're going to dial that back a little bit. But what I'm kind of telling you, as I say all that is don't feel bad about it. Okay. Because if you were attracted to somebody and it happened, yes, there are times when you're like absolutely in the same department or it's a direct report one way or the other and get a little dicey. I'm not telling you it's always cool because it isn't, but um, it's, I, I'm a reality based person. Okay. I deal in reality. The reality is if two people are, are going to want to start hanging out, they're probably going to start wanting to hang out. Um, as far as the difficult part of this, don't stay in the relationship because you like, this is nuts. This is Tom Wom scam. Did you make a glider out of a Caesar salad? Ha. Huh? Um, where he says to <laughs> Shiv where he's like, I can't tell if the sad that I, feel oh, i don't want to screw this line up but essentially he's saying because it was just, a good one yeah i'm just watching it the other night i think i just talked about it. i think I, I love this line from succession so freaking much it's perfectly perfectly delivered by tom um but he's sitting there and he's talking to shiv and he just says he's not happy and he's such a good actor and he just says i can't tell if the sad that i would feel without you would be worse than the sad that i feel now that i'm with you and i was like wow and i didn't do it perfectly but that's the point this sounds like it's a bummer either way, and you're not even married to the person. So look, man, uh, don't date somebody that you're miserable with because of the work part. So you're, you're asking me to pick the two miserables. At least, it, at least when you're miserable at work because of the awkwardness, it's going to go away. It's just going to go away, and you're going to have to hope you can both be adults about it and go, hey, look, we both love our jobs. We both love our careers. We're proud of what we've done. This isn't working, and now it's going to be awkward, and that's the price that we have to pay for the part that we wanted to engage in, and we have to both suck this up and be adults. It doesn't always happen that way, obviously, but that's I'd rather have that a million times over than actually having to go home to the person. You already can't stand her at work because <laughs> you can't stand her, so why are you going to then go home and not be able to stand her? So I basically what we've done is I've shaved off 12, yeah, I've shaved off 12 hours of resentment. Boom. Done. Have a great weekend, everybody. Please subscribe, rate, and review to the Ryan Russillo podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. And make sure you check out all the other podcasts that we have going on. We've got a million new things that we launched that have been really, really cool. So uh, check those out as well. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the basketball.